Come on, let's welcome Chapel Downtown. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Can be seated. Can be seated. Merry Christmas, everybody. Good morning, Chapel Downtown. Glad to have you this morning. Excited about all God's doing. Isn't it great to have kids singing in church, right? Be a part of a church that has multiple generations. How good is that? Man, we're so excited next weekend to have regular Sunday gathering, great Christmas services, and then so excited about Christmas Eve, five options together, both campuses at the National. What a great uh, Christmas season it's going to be for our church. And then, and then just sort of mark your calendars, right? When we jump back in the first Sunday of January, we're going to come together for seven days of prayer and a little bit of prayer and fasting. How many know after Christmas you need a little detox? Everybody need that? So we're going to really kind of focus, lean in, season of prayer as we head into January at both campuses all week. We'll tell you more about that. And then Saturday prayer and really trust God to do incredible things in the life of our church in 2020. Um, I want to start with a little confession this weekend. Uh, uh, where are the people, and you, uh, you, you don't have to be ashamed, you can admit it, that watch Hallmark Christmas movies? Come on, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, the other day I was going through my DVR and we had like 30 Christmas movies taped and I deleted a couple of them and my wife's like, well, how did you delete, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember what it was, like Tinsel or All the Way or I don't know what it <laughs> And I was like, what? How, 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 there are 30 of them. How did you know I was cleaning out the DVR a little bit? Um, but I, I wanted to just let you know if you haven't seen a Hallmark movie that they are all the same one. Have you found that to be true? They're all the same plot, okay? Let me tell you what it is. 45-year-old widowed dad, his son wants him to, teenage son wants him to get back in the game, you know? And, and, but he, but he's, he's a good guy and, 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 and 45-year-old 40, businesswoman who don't need a man anymore because she's been hurt. She don't need no man and so... They're both carrying Christmas gifts down in the mall and they bump into each other and they fall everywhere and, and they don't see it, but everyone else sees the magic that's there. She's too hurt. He's too focused. She's always got that friend who's like, you better move on that man. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, by the end, they're ended up downtown in the town square. The kids have orchestrated it. They're underneath the mistletoe. They give each other kisses. They've been wearing J. Crew the whole movie, you know. <laughs> and it's a new Christmas. You're welcome. You don't have to watch any of them, you know. But you know, Christmas really does change our attitude. In fact, it's strange. I, I was working on the message this week and I had this theological message on Jesus coming to earth and from one of the great New Testament passages of, of how God in divinity came into our broken humanity and he became human and a slave and died on a cross and now because of that, God's exalted him and, and I had the whole message sort of finished until I read the verses before it and after it. How many know it's, it's good to read the verses before it and after it, right? Because... Paul, as he talks to us from Philippians 2, we're going to look at it this weekend, in, in showing Jesus as the ultimate Christ coming in incarnation, he's really doing it to correct people's attitudes. 
In fact, uh, just write this down this weekend. Uh, Christmas changes our attitude completely. And that's what he's about to teach them, that because of the example of Christ and what Christ has done, it ought to transform the way we treat one another, the way we uh, act with one another. And so here's how he sets up the passage. And then we're going to look at his, his talking about Christ's coming. He says this, Philippians 2, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, this is an easy verse to read in church, but an awful hard verse to live out. We're, how many know we're born selfish? I never had the toddlers in my house say, no, you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> we're hardwired. Our kids learn some of their first words ever are mine. In fact, I've never heard them say, Dad, is this okay with you? Because it feels like you paid the bills. <laughs> no, we're born selfish. And, and the truth is, we are also born trying to impress one another. So the Bible tells us to be humble and to think of others better than ourselves. And man, this is hard for us to do, isn't it? In fact, I don't know if you've ever taken a group picture. You ever taken a group picture and you have a few of them and you're going to decide to post one? This is the sign of whether or not you're selfish or not. Come on, confess. How many look at you in the picture first? You zoom it up. And then you're faced with the choice. Will you pick the best group picture? Or will you pick the picture that's best of you? And you know what we do? We like, I'm, picture, I'm posting the one, like the one everyone's got their eyes closed, stick, still halfway in the frame. You're like, but I look good in this. Boom. You know what I mean? <laughs> The truth is, we we're, we're, we're tend to be wired selfishly as people. It's just kind of the way we are. It's, we look out for ourselves. And, and, and so the Bible says this crazy thing at Christmas that, that, that we can think of others as more than ourselves and not try to live our life impressing other people. Wouldn't that be incredible if we lived in a world where people didn't try to impress one another? And, 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 and we had humility of heart. In fact, I really believe this, that 99% of our relational problems are rooted in a wrong attitude. And so in a second, we're going to show you these verses that are really Christmas verses, but they're told by Paul because two people are fighting in church. I'm so glad the Bible's done being written because it includes their names in there. So one day we're going to meet them in heaven and say, who are you? And you'll be like, oh, you're the people that were fighting at the church in Philippi, Right. And they're fighting and arguing, and so he tells them, listen, your problems relationally are rooted in a wrong attitude. And let me just say this this weekend. I believe a good attitude can make hard things easy, and a bad attitude can make easy things hard. Much of our life is driven by our attitudes. And so we're going to talk today about how to get the right kind of attitude. Okay, come on, turn to the person next to you, downtown south. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you need a new attitude. Come on, tell them that. You need a new attitude attitude, okay? <laughs> Some of you loved that. I'll give you a few takeaways I see this morning, right? From Philippians chapter 2, we'll be in verses 1 to 11, but here's the first one. Our lives are defined by our what? By our relationships. In fact, life is ultimately, when you boil it down, it's, it's relationships. The quality of your relationships determines the quantity of your joy in life. 
So relationships are what it's all about. It's what's important. It's what really matters. And our lives are defined by relationships. Our lives are defined by how we interact with one another. And, 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 and listen, life, I know, relationally can be painful and difficult as well. But you've got a choice whether or not you'll isolate yourself or you'll know that real joy is found in community. And so our lives are defined by our relationships. But in order to, to be in relationships with one another, we have to learn to get along. <laughs> And that isn't always easy. In fact, here's what Paul says, Philippians 2. He says, make me truly happy. Don't, don't you feel like he's a dad talking to the kids? Hey, guys, would you just do me a solid? Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. And I want you to love one another and, and work together with one mind and purpose. They're, they're all arguing and trying to get their own way and they're putting themselves first and they're on a race to impress one another and, and be right. How, how many know in life you can choose whether or not you're happy or right? <laughs> Let me talk to the married people here for a second. <laughs> how, how many know, so, some of you are married to people that have an incredible memory. <laughs> hey, baby, in 1978, when we were in Niagara Falls, you told me, you remember? We we're standing right near, how, how, anybody married to some, uh, whatever, here we go. Listen, part of life isn't being right, it's being, it's being uh, committed to one another and it's having humility and it's walking wholeheartedly. In fact, Paul says ultimately, here's how we can do it. Verse five, uh, he says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Like no pressure this Christmas, but I'm just asking you to have the same attitude as Jesus. Right, how many read that verse and you're like, holy moly, like Jesus? Hey, hey, here's what I want you to do this Christmas, be like Jesus, <laughs> Because here's what he's teaching them. If, if relationships are the most important thing about our lives, here's the second thing. Our relationships are affected by our what? By our, by our attitudes. And he's concerned that the attitude of one another and not working together, but working against one another and conflict. And, and so he, he addresses their concern by challenging them to have the same attitude of Jesus, which was the attitude of humility, Right? Man, I was thinking, humble is a hard word to define, isn't it? In fact, I've never, I've been pastoring for a little while now. I've never met with anyone who told me their problem was pride. No one, no one seems to think that. And I've never met with anyone who said their problem was they're too humble either, you know. In fact, I got thinking this week, I wonder if I'm humble. I wonder if when I preach, is this coming off humble and so I'm typing my notes up, and I'm like, I want to, is this humble? I'm, I'm going to, is this humble? So I'm going to talk quiet. Does this feel, that was humble. This is, this is a really humble sermon, isn't it? It's humble. <laughs> like, what is humble? Is it quiet? Uh, I love how Tim Keller says it, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. <laughs> because we tend to be preoccupied with ourselves, don't we? And Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to get, get along, you're going to have your relationships work. If you're going to find this joy in life by being able to relationally connect with one another, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to check your attitude. And here's the third thing. Our attitudes are ultimately going to be affected by who? Come on. By Jesus. He says, have the same attitude Jesus has. And then he breaks out in what some scholars say is, uh, is a hymn because it's a description, but at least it's written in prose or a poem of who Christ is and what he's come to do. Let me show you it. Philippians 2 and verse 5. He says, here's what I want you to do. Think of yourselves the same way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God 
but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a what? Of a slave and became what? Human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim any special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. So he says, hey, you guys can't get along. It's because you're all trying to impress one another, outdo one another. You're try- Have you ever had a, ever had a one-upper? You ever had a conversation with a one-upper? You know what I mean? You're like, hey, I, I, things are going pretty well. I, I, you know, my, my son's just learning to read. Oh, that's not, that's not bad. My son learned to read when he was two. He's got three college credits. He's in first grade. You know, you ever had a conversation with someone? No matter what you say, they've done better. You know what I mean? You're like, really? You can't give me just a second, you know? And they're trying to impress one another, one-up one another, outdo one another. And Paul says, this is actually the opposite of what Jesus did. Instead of Jesus trying to outdo one another, he came not to be served, but to serve. And in fact, he was, he, it's the ultimate demotion in all of human history. That the God of the universe was willing to step out of the perfection of heaven and come into the imperfection of our world. And then he describes what he does as, as like a process of demotions. He says, first of all, that the God became human. I want you to think of this this weekend. God became human. Max Lucado says, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo, and he which sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. We sing it all the time. We sing God in flesh, and we walk by nativity scenes, and we rarely go, whoa, can you believe this? But hey, God became human. And how many know he did that so he could rescue us? Anybody thankful for that this weekend, right? God became human. You say, well, what kind of human? Surely he was a king and he brought attention to himself and he gathered the masses and he profited himself and he propped himself up. No, no, no. Not only become human, but he became a what? He became a servant. For real, God became human, human in a servant form. Philippians actually says he's a slave. He came not to be served, but to serve. In fact, in some of his last moments as they're sitting around a room when there was no servant to wash the feet, which was a custom in the ancient world because they would walk on dusty grounds before the meal. There was no servant there. None of the disciples thought of lowering themselves, but Jesus, the God of very God, set aside his garment and served other people. Hey friends, you and I want to be great in the kingdom of God. It's not about puffing ourselves up. It's about serving one another, right? And when we start getting clinging for power and prestige and opinion and control, we've lost the heart of our Savior, who's a God who's come to serve. Came not only in humanity, but what kind of human in servanthood? The Bible says not only did he come as a human, not only did he come as a servant, he came to, to die. He was willing to die. In my house growing up, there was, a, there was a kitchen and the dining room right off each other. And 
There was a little bar in between, and whenever we would have guests over, I would try to make my dad laugh in the other room from the kitchen. And one of the ways I did this was I would walk by the bar, and I would pretend there were no steps in the kitchen going down to the basement, but I would kind of step down. How many have ever done that, okay? Like I would just step down like I was going down just to try to make my dad laugh, you know, because I was uh, gifted that way. And... uh, I want you to think of it like a step down. This is what Paul's saying. God came down as human. He, he came down again, and, and he was a servant. Not only was he a servant, he was willing to die. And then ultimately, he says, not any kind of death, but the most humiliating kind of death, a crucifixion. This in the ancient world, I mean, we, we use a, a cross pendants on our necklaces and talk about it like it's normal, but in the ancient world, it, the, the, the death of crucifixion was the most humiliating death possible. It was oftentimes in a visible spot in town to, to uh, discourage future crim- crime. And so Jesus would have been stripped naked, hung upon a cross, hands and feet, pierced with, with, uh, with nails as he was slowly asphyxiated on a cross. And this would be the death of a common criminal. In fact, Scripture tells us he dies between two criminals. In that moment, not only does God come into our world, he becomes human. Whoa. Becomes a servant. Whoa. He dies. Whoa. The worst kind of death on a cross. Here's the... Fourth thing I think I I see here, we need to learn to gasp again at the Christmas story. What? For real? Are you kidding me? Like, huh? A baby born? The ultimate demotion? In fact, in the ancient world, they thought Jesus was a JV version of God, that maybe he was the backup quarterback. But, but Paul says, no, 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 he was fully God, fully God. How many know God had to be, Jesus had to be fully God to pay for our sins? But how many know he had to be fully human to die? Fully God to pay for our sins, fully human to die. And the Bible says, he who committed no sin. So of all human beings throughout all the history of time, there was only one who committed no sin, Christ, and yet he was willing to die for us. How many know we've sinned? I know Santa's making a list and checking it twice, but how many know if, if Christmas gifts were based upon our goodness, we'd get nothing? Anybody? Right? In fact, I've never seen a kid actually get coal in their stocking, and I've seen a bunch of them that deserve it. You know what I mean? <laughs> So the whole belief of Santa is to make our kids sort of guilted into being good so at the end of the year we can buy them some crummy presents. But I have some great news this Christmas, that we weren't good, and yet the story of Christmas is that God came for people not good, who couldn't rescue themselves, who couldn't have a self-improvement project to reconnect themselves to God. But I have great news, God came down again. Let's gasp again. (gasps) Divinity into humanity, into a servant, into death, on a cross for our sins, right? And we're thankful for that. I want the next time you walk by a nativity to be like, oh, what? <laughs> next time you drive, I mean, don't jerk the wheel, but just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like for real, God in human form, it's a sense of recognition, a sense of wow. Because here's the danger in our life. If we're not careful, we put ourselves above others. And Paul says, if you want to know how to, how to get yourself under control, you've got to check your motives. In fact, uh, that, that's one of my takeaways, just check your motives. 
Paul says, some of you are trying to impress one another, outdo one another, get ahead of one another. No, no, no. That's, that's not what God has for you. Check yourself. You know, we used to have a phrase, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them, check yourself. Come on, tell them that. Check yourself, right? Check your motives. The other day, the other day, our student pastor, KJ, sent me a video, and it was of me working my way into traffic. He had seen me ahead on the road, and I, was, I wasn't really cutting people off. I was just utilize, utilizing all the lanes available to me. And he sends this picture of me, sort of, and I realized, man, I drive a little selfishly. I just can't handle people are waiting, and if you're going to wait, I'm going to go. Listen, but that bleeds into a lot of us for, in a lot of parts of our life. We want to get ahead of people, want to prove our worth. Listen, let's check our motives. Paul says, consider others better than yourself. What if at the end of church today, as we're pulling out of our lots or walking out the door, we say, no, you go first. No, you go. What if there was just a log jam of you go firsts, right? I mean, not in a ridiculous way, but just a little bit, you know. What if when you got to the coffee station in church, you said, hey, hey, can I get you some right now? Come on. How can I? Like, what if we serve one another? What if instead of trying to advance our own cause, we advance the cause of others? What if we checked our motives? And here's the second thing. What if we checked our attitudes? What if we checked our attitudes? Every Wednesday night at our house is take the trash out night. <laughs> and so it's my job to get my boys to take the trash out and they sometimes forget. And so the other day, those of you that know me know I get up pretty early. I'm pulling out of my driveway. It's like 5.40 in the morning. And I realize as I'm pulling out of my neighborhood that there are trash cans at the end of every driveway. And I realize, oh, we didn't put the trash out. And I had this moment where I needed to either please my wife or, or go to Starbucks and spend time with the Lord. <laughs> So I listened to the Holy Spirit, my wife, and uh, <laughs> turned back around and pulled in my driveway. Now, it's not my job. It's my son's job. But they need, and I was just, I don't know why, I was sick of it. It's 5.40 in the morning, and my driveway is kind of steep, and I thought, I don't really want to fall, and the boys would recover better from a fall. So I went, <laughs> I went up to their bedrooms, 5.40 in the morning. I said, hey, hey, hey. Guys, you didn't take the trash out, and it's trash morning. Pretty soon, if you, trash comes early, so you need to go. They said, Dad, it's, what time is it? I said, don't worry about it. It's early, and uh, let's get outside. I remember they were so mad at me. Why couldn't you do it? Why couldn't I do it? Because it's your job. It's the one thing you do in this house. By the way, the one thing you do in all your life, one thing. I ask for four minutes a week from you. Get up. <laughs> And one son's all mad. He's taking the trash can down kind of violently and he kind of lets it go a little fall and flies everywhere. And I said, it's fine with me. You can spend all morning picking up in the trash can. You know, I don't, have you ever seen a kid obey on the outside but not on the inside? Come on. Check your attitude. Paul says some of our problem isn't the actions on the outside. Some of us, some of us have the actions right on the outside, but how many know some of us have the attitude wrong on the inside? Come on, right? Like the way we talk, like the problem in our relationships, Paul says for these Philippians, is that they're pressing and competing and trying to be one better than the other, and God has something better for them than that. He tells them, check their motives, 
Check their attitudes. Because Jesus was the opposite. Catch this. It's the only, it's the only ruler in all of history that instead of promoting themselves, they promoted their followers. And instead of demanding to be served by their followers, they served their followers. In fact, you know, if you read some early documents, one of the things that people struggled with if Jesus could really be God was why didn't he promote himself? Why would a God come in meekness and humility? Why would he establish his kingdom through serving rather, through, rather than through ruling? And Paul kind of addresses this. He says, listen, I want you to know, Jesus, in the first time he came, he, he served. But I want you to know, because he took the low road, God's going to set him on the high road. Because he submitted to the will of his father. Look at this. These are some of the best words in the New Testament. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, friends, gave him the name that is what? Come on, that is above every name. That at the name of who? Come on. Name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I've got news this morning. One day, every ruler, every president, every king, every dignitary, every senator, every congressperson, every mayor, every person, every coach, every superstar, every celebrity, whether they name him now, that's the name above every name. And one day, at that name, how many know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Anybody believe that this weekend, right? That's what we believe. What, what will they believe, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge, confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of what? Of God, the Father. Here's what he says. Jesus went low, so in the end of time, his Father lifts him high. Do you want, I want you to know this, it's the opposite of all other human institutions where when you advance yourself and your own uh, uh, work, you get advanced. But Bible says the opposite is true in the kingdom of God. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Those who, who, who are arrogant, God will humble, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. How many know God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? So he says, Jesus served the will of his father. So one day he will be lifted up. My youngest son loves basketball, and I'm always trying to convince him how good at basketball I used to be. <laughs> and so I'm telling him, listen, in high school, you don't know how, and listen, man, and I, listen, you know. So a couple of years ago, my mom was cleaning out, they were moving, she was cleaning out the attic, and she found a whole book of just newspaper clippings from our high school basketball game. So she, we're at dinner one night. And she pulls out this little book and she says to my son, hey, your dad was a good basketball player. I gotta pick, like, I'm going to show you him in the newspaper. And so she, opened, she hands him this piece of newspaper and it's me running, chiseled. I mean, probably seven pounds ago. And, you know. <laughs> and I look closer and I realize, I, I remember this game. We lost to Lafayette by eight points. And the guy I guarded, one of the really good guy, dropped 28. And so she hands him this picture, and it's of me getting smoked <laughs> by this other guy. And my son smiles, and, Dad, this kid had 28 on you? Well, yeah, he's very good. He, uh, yeah. Then, listen, a couple days later, I'm walking through the kitchen on the front of my refrigerator. <laughs> it's just this picture of me getting schooled, you know? 
And every day as I'm walking to work, I walk by my refrigerator of shame. You know what I mean? How many know if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled, you know? Since then, I've hidden the picture. Jesus says, I've come to do it the complete opposite way of every ruler, every system, every way of thinking. Everything in our culture says, get ahead, be ahead, promote yourself, push yourself, cling for power, rise in the ladder. And Jesus says, no, 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 you want to get ahead? You get ahead by going behind. You want to be promoted? You get promoted by serving. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, Peter says, that he may exalt you in due time. Hey, friends, I think we need a revolution in our culture of people that don't promote themselves, but promote their God, people that serve one another. And I want the chapel not to be known, even for our name chapel, not for our staff, not for our leadership, not for our ministries. May this be a house that is known. There's only one name that is great. Come on, friends. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we humble ourselves under his hand. Hey, friends, you're not that good. I'm not that good. How many know you're, you're an imperfect person in an imperfect church with an imperfect pastoral team? I mean, how many know Pastor Jason, Pastor Joel, KJ? How many know those guys are imperfect? Can I get an amen? How many know the pastor's wife? She's imperfect, right? Yeah. Hey, but we have a perfect king and we haven't come to impress each other. We have come to just declare triumph and lift up a savior who's a lowly one who one day is now exalted. On the third day, he rose from the dead. Let's be a house of humility, a house of service, a house of sacrifice. And it's the opposite of what our culture says. I get that. But Paul says, listen, it'll transform your relationships if your attitude changes and you consider their needs better than yours. And, and, and so you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go home from church and I'm going to watch a Hallmark movie with my wife. For the glory of God the Father. I actually fall asleep 10 minutes into anything, so, but I'll be right there. <laughs> by our side. Come on, would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to turn it back over to downtown. God, would you make this part of our church, part of our hearts, part of our identity. God, no great people here, just little people with a great God. For you are the only one worthy of all praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn it back over to downtown. Would you bow with me just one more time? In the lobby and here in this main room. Maybe you're here this weekend and you aren't sure of where you are even in your relationship with God. The story of the Bible is the story of Christ coming for sin. That he died and he died a painful death for our sin. I'm not gonna embarrass you or ask you to get out of your seat, but if you're here this weekend, you say, Brandon, I don't, I'm not quite sure of where I'm at in my own relationship with God. Nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand all over this room and say, pray for me today. I don't know where I'm at in my relationship with God. Come on, raise your hand. Yes, are there others? Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand, put it right back down. Pray for me. Yeah, thanks so much. Anybody else? Yep, thank you. Anybody else? Pray for me this weekend. I don't know where I'm at in my relationship with God. The story of the Bible is you just pray a prayer that goes something like this right where you're seated. God, I'm imperfect but I believe you died on a cross and rose from the dead for my sins. So come into my life and take away my shame. I invite you to be my savior and the treasure of my life. Today I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are who you say you are 
that you died and rose, rose again. So forgive my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I declare you Lord and the treasure of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, chapel. Let's tell some people that are taking their steps with God. We're happy for you. Come on, can we just stand? Come on, can we just have one sacred moment? We're going to be gone in just a minute or two, but if you're comfortable, you to hold your hand like this. Come on.